Well, hello everybody in here, everybody watching online. It is so great to be with you. Before we dive into the message, would you just pray with me? Father God, as we open your word, my request is simple. I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak truth to us today. Pray that we would not be uh, the same people leaving this time that we were when we, when we entered it. Um, I ask for myself specifically, Father, that I would just disappear in these moments and that your Holy Spirit would remain as we listen to your voice today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, well, we are in week two of our new series, Moments with Jesus. This is a series where we are looking at different uh, moments, different incident, uh, moments makes sense, obviously, moments with Jesus, different moments in his story where we get a glimpse at who he is, not in a, a head knowledge, theological necessarily kind of way, more in a, a heart-changing kind of way where we see who, what, what is he like, what does he care about, what does he feel, and hopefully we are being transformed as we know our Savior just a little bit better over these five weeks. So our goal as we look at these stories, which are mostly pretty short, we want to inhabit these stories as closely as we can and put ourselves in there to understand what, what is our Savior really like. That's what we're doing here. Last week, we looked at the story of Jesus calling to become one of his disciples a really unlikely person, Matthew the tax collector. And, and what we learned is that as, as of who he is, Jesus calls the broken. That's what he does. And today, we are looking at the story of, of how Jesus brings life to someone who is very much on the margins in, in a very unexpected way. So let's take a look at that story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11, and that is going to be page 857 in the House Bibles. And while you're turning there, I just want to give a quick little update announcement about something happening next weekend. If you remember a couple months ago, we did Hope Month, where we talked all about creation care. We talked about God's heart for the planet and, and for the environment. We talked all about that. And uh, it, was a, it was a great series. We had, we had a weekend of service where we got out into the world and, and served together. If that is something that you're passionate about and you want to know more about how Grace is going to be caring for creation moving forward, we are having our next meeting of what we're calling Project Eden. We've resurrected Project Eden, uh, and it's going to be meeting next weekend between the services, between 9.15 and 11, in room 111. So if you're someone who wants to know or wants to be a part of how Grace is going to care for this creation moving forward— Maybe come between the services. So you guys at 11 o'clock, you're going to have to come a little bit early, but show up at like 10, 10, 15 in room 111, and we'll have a meeting to talk about next steps. Okay? Cool. Hopefully, I'll see some of you, uh, some of you there. So let's read this story. The context in Luke is that right before this, Jesus has healed the uh, slave or, or servant of a Roman centurion from afar. It's a pretty crazy miracle. Everybody's talking about it. And then this happened. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin, and he touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Okay, so it's a, it's a short little story, but I think it's an important one for us to dig into. So let's try to inhabit this story. A great place to start is to understand what is the world behind the text and what's the world of the text. Uh, Put simply, what is Luke trying to communicate by telling us this story in the first place? So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about some of the facts. Um, I want us to try to picture the scene a little bit. I think that will be helpful for us. Um, So we'll start with this. Uh, Nain, this village, is, is a village in Galilee, which is the northern part of, the, of Israel, right? Kind of southwest of, of the Sea of Galilee. And this is actually only about a three-hour walk from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. So Nain is on like a, this hillside overlooking a valley, and then Nazareth is up on the next hillside over. And so presumably Jesus knew the area. He might have been here before. We don't know. But all we know is that Jesus is going around the area with this big crowd of people following him. And this woman, this widow, is leading this funeral procession with another big crowd of people. And they both happen to meet right outside the village gates of Nain. Okay, so that's, that's what's happening here. Now, this, this son of hers was, was lying in a well, the scripture says a coffin, but I don't want you to think, don't think like a casket, like a big box that we would think of today. Most likely, the coffin was, was more like a, like a stretcher, like a wooden stretcher. The body was lying on top of it, wrapped in linens. That was, so picture that. that they, they had to get the body buried as soon as possible. Now, they didn't have morgues or, or refrigeration or anything like that, so when someone died, you had to kind of move quickly to get them buried, and so that's what this is happening. You can imagine the, the, this widow, I mean, her son probably just died. Like, this wasn't a long, so she's probably a little bit in shock. They're all going out there, and they're, they're leading this funeral procession to try to get, uh, to get her, him buried ASAP. So these two crowds meet in the middle, and you can kind of picture Jesus and this widow at the front of the crowds, and he locks eyes with her, He tells her, don't cry, which is crazy, uh, until you realize what he's doing is he's actually, Luke is making sure we see that because he's referencing something from the chapter right before. In Luke 6, Luke has his version of Jesus' Beatitudes where he says, blessed are those who mourn or who weep. It's the same word, don't weep. Blessed are those who weep for they will be filled with joy or something to that effect. So he is referencing the fact that he had just said that those who are weeping are going to be blessed and Jesus tells this woman, don't weep. And he goes up to this coffin, this stretcher, and he stops the entire procession by touching it. A crazy thing for a rabbi to do because anything that a dead body touches is ritually unclean. So now Jesus is supposedly ritually unclean. But instead of having to go through purification, what does he do? He speaks to the body and this dead young man just sits right up. He's, he's alive again. And the entire crowd is, is shocked by this. I mean, you, you would be too, right? I think we, we often lose the the wonder and astonishment of these stories because we just hear them all the time like oh yeah so jesus raised another guy to life like wait there's a dead dude and he just sat up and started talking i mean what would you be thinking if you were in either one of those two crowds like either you knew the guy or this is just you've been following this rabbi and all of a sudden uh, he just there's like zombies walking around right except he's actually talking and he's alive this is crazy so i want us to not miss the fact that this is absolutely wild in, in verse 16, uh, Luke says that the crowd was filled with fear. Fear, and I, I talk about this a lot because I think it's important, but the word fear is phobos in Greek. 
Phobos, it means fear, yes. It also means awe or astonishment. So this crowd is filled with this, this word that could mean fear and terror. I'm sure somebody was probably terrified, like what's happening here? And others were filled with this wonder and astonishment. And it, it's no wonder that they go right to praising God. They're, they're just absolutely blown away that this new life has just come about. Now look at verse 16. Because in their praise of God, the, the passage says that the crowd says something that's a little, maybe it strikes us as a little bit weird. Maybe it will, will be weird for you. The crowd says, a mighty prophet has risen among us. Now, this is weird. If you think of a prophet the way that I think we often do, a prophet in the Bible usually is someone who speaks. Like their, their, their whole thing is that they speak the truth of God. They, they tell others what God is thinking and they represent his, his thoughts and his voice to the world. That's what a prophet does. But Jesus here, he's barely said a few words. He's like said like three words. He hasn't said much. So what's this all about? How, why are they thinking of him as a prophet when he's really doing an action and not speaking? Well, this is something that Luke wants us to pay attention to because Luke, the author of this, he wants us to see that Jesus is actually standing in the tradition of some of the Old Testament prophets who came before, specifically Elijah and Elisha, who were prophets. They spoke the truth, but they also did incredible things with God's power through them. They, they healed people, they performed miracles, and guess what? They raised the dead. There's a specific story in 1 Kings that is, it's so obvious, the connection points here, that Luke is like, duh, obviously, this is what Elijah did. In 1 Kings, Elijah, the prophet, he meets this widow on the margins. He meets her at the gates of a village, of a small village, that sounds familiar, and he raises her dead only son to life. And he gives the son back to the widow, just like Jesus does. Super clear parallels between this story and that one. But Luke is making an additional point here. He's not just saying, yeah, Jesus is just like Elijah and Elisha. He's making an additional point, and here's why. If you look at the first Kings story, the Old Testament one, it, Elijah is healing this boy, bringing this boy back to life, but it's this whole dramatic scene. Elijah's like stretching his, his body over the, over the dead boy three different times, and then he's praying to God, and he's, it, I'm, I'm imagining there's lots of shouting going on. It's this whole scene, and it says this in verse Kings 17. It says, the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. And then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. That's the key right there. Now I know for sure that you are a man of God. You see, this act that Elijah did of, of, of raising this boy to life, it was an act that confirmed that Elijah had the authority of God. He had the authority uh, to, to speak on God's behalf. And this is the exact same thing that's happening in Luke. This is what's happening with Jesus. The fact that he rose this man to life is proof that God is with him. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. In the Old Testament story, like I said, Elijah, it's this whole big scene. Elijah's praying to God, and God answers his prayer. But what happens in Luke 7? Jesus just speaks to the body, and the body sits up. Do you know what that's trying to communicate to us? That Jesus has his own authority within him. He's not just a, a prophet. He's divine. God's authority is within him. 
In this story, Luke wants us to understand this pretty provocative idea that Jesus Christ has authority because he is the Son of God himself. That's a provocative idea. I I love, he even puts in this little fact that the crowd says in verse 16, God has visited his people today. And I'm sure they meant like, oh yeah, God uh, worked through this prophet. But now looking back, we see that they were telling the truth. Like God actually did visit his people. This was Jesus in all of his authority as God himself. So, okay, that's the story. That's, That's what Luke wants us to see and to understand about this. Jesus can heal because he's the son of God. He has authority as a prophet, but one who truly is divine. That's what Luke's trying to get across. But this series is all about us connecting our hearts to the person of Jesus. And right now, as we just talk about all of that, it still kind of leaves Jesus a little bit distant, perhaps. Maybe even a bit cold because we, we don't, we think of him in terms of this like God walking around. There are other aspects of this story that I think are going to help us move beyond our heads and right to our hearts, and that's what I want to focus on next. So let's go back, and I want to ask this question of the story. What did Jesus feel and think as all of this was happening? What was going through his mind and his heart as, as this whole incident was taking place? Well, the key to that is in verses 12 and 13. Take a look at that. In verses 12 and 13, uh, Luke tells us that this young man who died was this widow's only son. This widow's only son. Now, that says a little bit to us because we can imagine, oh, how sad, that's a lot of grief. But to that culture, this would have been a really staggering blow for this woman. Not only was she dealing with grief, she'd lost her husband at some point, and now she'd lost her only son. Nobody wants to bury a child. Now she's got that grief, but way more than that, she's also now extremely vulnerable because this son in that culture was really the only one who was there to provide for her. Because he died, now she was exposed to predatory landowners that might want to try to steal her land. She had very little power. Uh, she now had, had the potential of, of going into poverty. She had no one to care for her if she got sick in her old age. Widows were marginalized back then. There's a reason that throughout Scripture, there's this constant call for justice. And what is it justice for? For orphans and for widows. Because both orphans and widows were on the margins of society and they were vulnerable. And so this woman is vulnerable. Yes, she's facing deep grief. She's probably in shock. If her, if her son just died, she's probably in shock. She's also facing fear and worry and anxiety about the future as well. This is a a desperate woman in a really desperate time. And when Jesus looks at her, when he locks eyes with her, well, look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. With compassion. Now, this word, compassion, in Greek, it is a very ugly-sounding word to to our, our ears, but it's probably one of my favorite Greek words. The word is splachnizomai, splachnizomai. Isn't that just beautiful? Splachnizomai. It sounds like you're getting, hacking something up. Uh, someone earlier said, sounds like German. <laughs> it's just like a really beautiful language. So, uh, splachnizomai. The reason I love this word, the root of the word, splachna, in Greek, it literally means entrails 
or like viscera or intestines or bowels. Like it's, it's a very gory sounding word. It literally means your guts. And so splachnizomai, as a way of feeling, feeling something, it's talking about a compassion that you feel in your guts. You feel it deep. It churns you up. This idea, compassion, it's different than pity. It's not pity. Jesus did not look at this woman and have pity for her because pity is when you, what? You see someone in a desperate situation and you feel bad for them and you think, oh, what a shame. That's pity. That's not what Jesus felt. Jesus was moved in his guts by what he saw. He felt it. He, he was churned up inside by seeing this woman in, in such a desperate state. He felt empathy for her, not sympathy. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not a parent, but I have many friends who are, and, and so I can imagine, based on their experience, what I think this feels like. So parents out there, maybe you know what I'm talking about when I say splachnizomai is what you feel when your kid comes home from school and tells you that they were bullied at school or tells you that, asks you, mom, am I ugly? Like, what do you, oh, you, can you imagine, you feel that, that so deeply, it turns you up, you're like in your guts, you, you maybe even feel kind of like a sour stomach, like no, no, not, no, you're not, I want to, what can I do to make you feel better, how can I let you know that it's going to get better, it's, it, that's the feeling that I imagine Jesus had in this, this gut-churning compassion that he felt for her. You, if your kid did that, you'd say, I, I want to take your pain for you, Right? You don't want them to feel that anymore. And that's how Jesus felt for her. This woman who had already lost her husband, but now lost her only son. She was marginalized. She was vulnerable. And right when he laid eyes on her, Jesus was filled with deep compassion. But this isn't the only time, <clears throat> this is not the only time that this happens for Jesus. In fact, this word, splachnizomai, shows up all over the New Testament. Jesus feels this for a lot of different people on the margins. For example, for example, in Matthew 9, <clears throat> when he saw the crowds, he had compassion, splachnizomai, for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds, his, he's churned up inside. Oh, that's what he feels. Or Matthew 14, he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. He sees people who are sick and dying and diseased, and his heart is moved. Or he said it himself in Mark 8, I have compassion, splachnizomai, for the crowd, because they've been with me now for three days and have had nothing to eat. Ah, oh, ah. Oh. When we talk about the character of Jesus, I just want you to understand he is not some aloof, impartial prophet just spouting wisdom from the mountaintop. Okay, he's not that. He's not just some, some divine holy man who's barely even wanting to be here. He's barely even on our plane of existence. That's not who we follow. No, Jesus is compassionate. He's moved. His heart beats for the people that he sees deeply again and again. His heart breaks when he sees people suffering. It's who he is. I'll boil it down for you. Jesus has compassion for the marginalized. Jesus has compassion for the marginalized. It is who he is. That is how his heart beats. He feels deeply. Which is why after he raises this dead young man to life, you know what he doesn't do? 
He doesn't launch into some big sermon. He doesn't just go walking away to keep doing whatever he was on his way to do. No, what does he do? He, what does it says in verse 15, he gave him back to his mother. What a tender thing to do. Can you picture that? Like, I, I don't know, did he, did he help the young man sit up? Did he, did he uh, walk him over to his mother? Did he put their hand, did he put his son, the son's hand in the mother? I don't know, but can you imagine? He, gave, he took the time to give this boy back to his mother. I can only imagine that where moments before he was feeling that gut level compassion, that in the moment as he gave this boy back to his mother, he was feeling gut level joy, wasn't he? Jesus has compassion for the marginalized. It's who he is is it's who he is think about it this way why else why else would jesus so willingly go to the cross if he didn't feel compassion for for humanity why would he bear the shame of all of us bear it in his own body why would he become the curse for us why else would he so radically identify in his suffering with all the suffering and all the marginalized in this world by by sharing in their anguish Why would he do that? He would do it because he cares, because he's deeply moved. We so often reduce Jesus to some list of theological facts to believe, don't we? Or we uh, we act as if the, the crucifixion and the resurrection was all just part of some legal agreement that he had to go through. No, Jesus felt it. He had compassion, and that is why he willingly gave his life. That is why he was willing to be tortured to death on our behalf. Because he cares. He would do anything if it meant bringing life to the people that he cares about. Jesus is moved by the suffering of others. And Jesus is moved by you. I want to talk about this for a minute. Jesus is moved by you. He has compassion for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that Jesus sees you and, and cares what you're going through? Do you believe that? On that day long ago, out, outside the village of Nain, Jesus saw a grieving woman at rock bottom, and he was moved at his core. He was moved in his guts. Do you believe that he feels the same way when he looks at you? For some of you, maybe, maybe you can really resonate with what this widow was going through. Maybe you're in a, in a season of grief in your life. Maybe you're, going, you're about to lose somebody and you don't really know how to process that. If that's you, if, if you're losing someone or you've lost someone, how does it feel to know that, that when Jesus sees you in your pain, he feels pain as well, that he's moved for you, that he wants to bear that pain with you, that he wants to move in closer, not walk away like so many do. How does that feel? Do you believe that Jesus has compassion for you? Or maybe you're not in a time of grief. Maybe you're just in a vulnerable place in life right now. Perhaps you're, you're kind of like that widow. You're at rock bottom. You're facing financial ruin, or you don't know how you're gonna put food on the table, or you just lost your job. Or maybe you're caught in an abusive relationship that you don't know how to get out of. Or, or you've got a, a disability or chronic pain or, or you're caught in some kind of addiction and in some way you feel like I'm just not in control. Maybe that's you. You're, you're, you're vulnerable in some way. How does it feel 
If that's you, how does it feel to know that Jesus has gut-level compassion for the challenges that you face? That when you are facing these things that just break you down, he sees that and says, ugh. That he wants to, to roll up his sleeves and face these things with you. How does it feel to hear him say, we can walk this road together, you and I. I want to be on this journey with you. I'm never leaving you behind. Do you believe that Jesus has compassion for you? Or there's others of you. Others of you that maybe you don't, you're, you're, you're not grieving, maybe you're not feeling particularly vulnerable, but you do feel marginalized by the world. Maybe you're so lonely right now. Or you're, you're, you're unpopular, or you're awkward, or you're, you're just isolated in some way. Maybe there's somebody watching online, you haven't left your home in so long, and you don't even know if anybody remembers you. You're feeling marginalized by the world. If that's you, if you feel like you're always on the outside looking in, how does it feel to know that Jesus sees you? He sees you. He knows your pain, and his heart breaks for you. Not with pity, not with pity, but with compassion. How does that feel to know that Jesus wants nothing more than to sweep in, hold you close, and say, I see you, I'm with you, and guess what? I've got life in store for you. Do you believe that Jesus has compassion for you? Because he does. He does. He is moved by what you face. And here's my hope. My hope and my prayer for this week is that you would internalize that truth. I hope and I pray that you would, you would wrestle with this. And if you don't believe it, that you'd ask yourself why and that you'd start to talk to God about why because I believe that this might be the hope that you need to get you through another day. Jesus actually cares about you. And you know what else? So do we. This church, the church, we are the body of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. And you know what that means? It means that we share the same love and compassion that he does. We care for one another and we see one another and step in to bear each other's burdens. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, he said God knows how much I love you and how, how much I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Can you guess what word he used there? Splachnizomai. We are moved for one another with a deep and gut-level compassion, just like Jesus. That's what we are meant to do. That's what we are called to do. So if you're in a place or you feel marginalized, or you feel like you're at rock bottom, or you feel like you are grieving something that goes well beyond yourself, here's what I would ask. Will you let us care for you? Will you let us love you? Will you let us walk with you through this journey? The challenges in this very isolated time that we are in, that may mean that you're gonna have to put yourself out there and let one of us know. And when I say us, I'm not talking about the staff, I'm talking about this whole church body. Maybe before you leave this room today or even leave wherever you're watching online, maybe you need to turn to someone and share with them what you're going through. Will you let us have compassion on you? Every week after the service is over, we have members of our prayer team over by the cross. And I'm just gonna, I wanna just 
represent this whole idea. I'm going to be over there after this service is over. Will you let me see you and care for you and pray for you? We are the church. We love you, and we want to walk with this through you because we have splachnizomai. We have compassion for what you're going through in our guts. You don't have to go through this alone. You don't. We love you, and Jesus loves you, and he cares. Remember that. Remember that. Remember it. Close your eyes. Place yourself in the story of the grieving widow and see this moment through her eyes. I'm sorry for your loss. What a shame. He died too young. How did you get here? It's all been a blur. Jacob only fell ill a few days ago. He was bringing in the wheat harvest on Monday said he was feeling a bit under the weather, and by Thursday night, he's dead? That's his body lying there. How did you get here? You spent all day rushing to get his body buried before the Sabbath begins. And now, like a grim parade, you're leading your own son's funeral procession out of the village. Your own son your only son. Your husband died years ago, but you never considered the possibility that Jacob wouldn't always be around to take care of you, to protect you. Are you going to have to sell your land? What if you get sick? How did you get here? Someone gently nudges you to keep moving. The procession is leaving the village gate. For some reason, it's this moment when the dam breaks. You can't hold back the tears any longer. You begin to wail. Jacob is gone. You're on your own. You stumble forward in a daze. The hot tears stream down your face when you hear a voice in front of you. Don't cry. Don't cry? You open your eyes to see who said this ridiculous thing. Standing in front of you is a man. Kind face, a look of genuine compassion. Without a word, he walks up to Jacob's coffin and stops the procession. He says, Young man, get up. Before you can even register what the man is saying, you see Jacob's body move. He takes a deep breath and sits up. Jacob looks around stunned. His eyes lock on yours. Mother? This strange man, this healer, he helps Jacob stand and walks him over into your arms. Don't cry. He says again. For your son is alive, and you are not alone anymore. What do you feel in this moment? What is going through your head? 
How have you felt alone and abandoned by this world? And how does it feel to know Christ has compassion on you? Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.